For months, we've said that record profits mean record contracts. And UAW family, our stand-up strike has delivered. This deal puts more money on the table than the 2019 agreement four times over. So when we say historic, we mean it. That was UAW President Sean Fain and UAW Vice President Chuck Browning announcing the tentative deal to their members on Wednesday. But questions still remain about the strike and the settlements. What makes these deals historic? How was the UAW able to come to an agreement with two of the Detroit Three automakers after the strike? And how do these deals fit into the ongoing negotiations with General Motors? They have yet to reach a deal with that automaker. That is where we begin the conversation today and this week. Also, a note before we get started, uh, there are some employees here at WDET who are represented by the UAW, but they operate under a different contract than the ones that are being negotiated with the automakers. A little later, we're going to break down the specifics of these deals with organized labor expert Merrick Masters, including taking a look at how they stack up and what they mean for labor and for the auto industry moving forward. But first, to understand how we got here and how people are reacting to the deal, I'm joined by Phoebe Wall-Howard. She is an automotive reporter for the Detroit Free Press, and she has been covering this labor action since it started. Phoebe, welcome back to Detroit Thank Today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, Phoebe, I want to start with Ford, since that was the first deal to be announced last week. Can you give us a sense of what's in this deal, what uh, the UAW is calling historic about it, and how they got to this point? How did they get a deal done? Well, um, Ford Motor Company and the UAW brokered a deal after incredible persistence on both sides uh, and stubbornness, actually. So this is about um, Ford setting a pattern, so to speak, of a 25% wage increase. And, you know, someone asked me and said, on social media, there was a big debate on whether unions really make a difference and argued that the UAW gained very little for these workers. And I would remind that they went from roughly 15% uh, to 25%. And the 15 was also an increase. So the net gains on base wages, uh, adding cost of living, which people dismissed outright from the very beginning, said that was a ridiculous item to even debate, that has been included. Uh, more vacation days, family time off, which is paid. Uh, a big one is that when factories transition to new products, they need to go down for a period of weeks. In times past, workers had to take, I, I don't like using the term forced vacation, but it is a term used in the industry. So you're given a few weeks off so the factory can recalibrate, but those weeks off are considered vacation. So it's your family has to plan on whenever the factory is down, and that's when you take your vacation. You don't have an option. Mm -hmm. So those are key components. Again, cost of living, um, retirement. People in the beginning said uh, there's no way you can negotiate retirement for current employees or uh, retired, and in fact, this union did. 
So this has been very significant. In the beginning, people scoffed at uh, a number of proposals the UAW put forward, and a number of critics said this would bankrupt the Detroit Three. So what the UAW, actually specifically Ford, has estimated is that the labor costs would increase the cost of a vehicle approximately 850 to $900. So if you buy a $40,000 F-150 pickup, you know, approximately 850 to 900 of that would be labor costs mm-hmm. under the new package. So that gives you an idea. Um, yeah. So I want to stop there. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, those are those are very big changes, not just to the immediate circumstances, but to the businesses overall. I mean, that's a very significant transfer of cost. I guess the, the, the question is, where does the company get that money? How can how can Ford afford this kind of deal uh, when just weeks ago, of course, they were saying they couldn't? Yes. Well, one thing Ford said in its recent earnings, which is not a point of pride, but it is a point of fact, and that is Ford has such enormous warranty and recall costs in the billions. They spend billions more than any competitor, and they have been first in the industry uh, for years. So this is something that CEO Jim Farley has said, and his chief financial officer, John Lawler, that they have to cut these costs. GM doesn't have these costs. Chrysler doesn't have these costs. Toyota doesn't have these costs. So these are you know, this just came up again. The union issue is real, but in fact, you know, the fixing mistakes is, is actually as or more costly than anything. So that's the top priority for Ford Motor Company. That's where you cut. In addition, the automakers are looking at simplifying choices for consumers. So do you really need 14 different types of a single car to choose from? Hmm. You know, might you reduce color? might you reduce certain uh, luxuries available? So that's one area, for example, that Tesla is very strong in. Uh, They have very few choices, and they just make the same few vehicles over and over, and they reach volume levels that increase profits. So the fewer... uh, the fewer vari- variations you have, the fewer mistakes or potential for mistakes. So that's a big area, and that is um, simplifying mm-hmm. and reducing mistakes. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Stellantis, which was the second deal announced last week. What do we know about that tentative agreement, and how was the UAW able to get uh, a second automaker to say, all right, enough, we'll We'll fine. Well, this one is this one is a really um, interesting situation. So Stellantis, of course, was the second to reach a tentative agreement. They matched Ford, equaling twenty five percent over the life of the contract base wage. They too are offering five thousand dollars as a ratification bonus. If the workers sign off on this, they get that immediately. Um, what they're offering is employees with seniority to participate in a company car lease program, new Mm. cars. So that's different for Stellantis. Mm -hmm. Another thing is um, Stellantis will be dramatically 
uh, reducing its use of temporary workers, what the union calls permatemps, where people basically do without benefits for one to 10 years. So now Stellantis has agreed to roll these folks over to permanent status within 90 days of ratification. That is so huge. Mm huge. Uh, And they'll be starting then at $21 an hour. Some of those are working at $16 and $17 with um, limited health care and far fewer benefits than their colleagues on the line. Mm -hmm. The the changes to that system, the tiered system, was a real focus of Sean Fain and the UAW in beginning this strike, and and they hit it over and over again uh, during the strike. How significant is it that they have been able to to win at least some of what they wanted uh, on that score from from the automakers? I mean, it seems to me that that's maybe the biggest shift overall in in these agreements. Well, you mean getting rid of tears? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that is that is absolutely significant. Um, it's one of the reasons Ford Motor Company said this is the best contract in 80 years. And um, the one thing, compensating for inflation is huge. Getting rid of tears is huge. Um, you know, the number of holidays and, and paid time off is so significant. And I have to say again, the number of retirees who've called me from all over the country, definitely the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. quite a few in Texas and Florida, but they just said it's so important to them to just get a little bit more. One thing these companies are talking about is getting $5 more per year of service. So that means your monthly pension check, let's say, if you did 25 years of service, $5 for a year would mean $125 more per month. And when you are working uh, with people on a fixed income, that is significant. So when people call and I say they're, they're working on things for you, I mean, they are moved to tears and they just don't want to be forgotten. Um, so we're waiting for General Motors, of course, and uh, we expect we will be hearing something uh, by the end of the day, yeah. by the end of Monday. Yeah, before yeah. Halloween. Yeah, I, I I had been hearing last week that GM would come in over the weekend. Uh, people seemed very confident that they were very close. And, and uh, as you say, it's Monday, but but uh, they expect to be done by the end of the day. Let's talk about what's what's. Uh, still remaining, I guess, in the negotiations with GM, why they aren't quite done. And I guess whether the agreement that we are likely to see today or at minimum by tonight will look different from the other two. Well, one thing to, to point out that you raise, and it's very, very important, is that GM was expected to have a deal before the weekend. That was the talk mm-hmm. um, by all the best sources. And so you nail that. And so it is a surprise that we are into a new week. And that's why we suspect um, that we'll see gains. I'd like to point out that in Canada, General Motors uh, workers went on strike for one day and they immediately reached a tentative agreement. By the fact that General Motors workers have gone on strike at Spring Hill, that is that that hits 
General Motors really hard. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, they're, the UAW is pulling out all stops at the end. And, um, you know, they're just, they're just trying to close everything. We will wait and see what General Motors is holding out on because mm-hmm. we can't really understand um, what the delay might be. So they definitely use more temporary workers, for example, so that'll cost more. Um, they have retiree issues, that'll cost more. So um, expect basic things like ratification bonus to be the same. So that'll be an issue. Mm-hmm. But um, And profit sharing, of course. So this will be for to Ford and General Motors, specifically General Motors, has said it's going to be increasing basic benefits for retirees, and um, that's a big deal. But I, watching what's holding up General Motors, we'll find out shortly what's moving them, and I just I don't think they're going to be able to hold out. I don't think the UAW is going to allow it. I think they used Ford Motor Company to set a pattern, mm-hmm. and I think that they're going to force the other two into that pattern, just mm-hmm. like old times, but a different different approach. So so before I have to let you go, Phoebe, I, I, I do want to talk about what's next. And I guess I want to frame that in the context, at least a little, of the damage done from the strike. 44 days. Uh, it was not a full strike of the automakers for that time, but it it still really hurt the bottom line. I mean, the numbers that you hear from the companies about how much they lost over this time are are absolutely staggering. So, So where do we go next? And how does the damage that was done to the automakers, I guess, fit into the answer to that question? Well, Ford Motor Company alone reported that it has lost a total of $1.3 billion yeah, uh, through the end of, of the strike. So the day they announced a tentative agreement, um, they had lost $1.3 billion. Uh, that was told to investors and obviously the federal regulatory folks. So um, General Motors will likely have more than that. That includes third and fourth quarter. So what's ahead? Uh, I think that the UAW has said they plan to organize uh, Detroit three competitors. Mm-hmm. They absolutely want to go after Volkswagen and Honda and Toyota. They do organize a Mercedes supplier, and that, in fact, was on strike earlier. So the UAW strategy is to expand its membership. A number of people have said, critics to us, have said, you know, this is unfair and these workers don't deserve this. And uh, nobody deserves to get paid this much. And it's a really interesting, um, it's a contradiction because you hear people say a lot, by America and by Americans. Mm-hmm. And yet it sounds when you listen to critics that they want to buy American, but they want people to be paid wages that are offered in other countries. Mm-hmm. So that's something for us really to reconcile. Because if people want minimum wage jobs, you know, that's not fueling the U.S. economy. So um, that's really something I think our nation's looking at right now in business. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Phoebe Wall-Howard, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for breaking down the agreements that will end at least two of the three strikes going on at the automakers. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. 
We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about these historic agreements with Stellantis and GM with Merrick Masters, uh, an expert on labor here in the United States. He's chair of the Department of Finance here at Wayne State University. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. We're talking about the tentative agreements that have been announced between the UAW and Stellantis and the UAW and Ford. And just as we were going into the break, one of the producers here on Detroit Today sent me a message saying that Reuters, at least, is reporting that there is a new deal, at least a tentative deal, in place with General Motors. So all three of the strikes could be over by the end of the day. I want to welcome another really important voice to our conversation today as well. Merrick Masters is chair of the Department of Finance at Wayne State University and a professor of management and an adjunct professor of political science. He is one of the foremost experts uh, on organized labor in this country and especially uh, its history. Uh, Merrick, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to hear your voice this yes, morning. It's, it's great to have you here. So I, I, I really want to start, of course, with the, the, the two deals that we know are for sure in place. And then we can talk about GM and the reports that they have perhaps reached an agreement with the UAW. But how would you break down the agreements that were struck with Ford and Stellantis. Are these as big of a win for the UAW as the leadership seems to think they are? Well, I would break them down into two major categories of issues. One would be the economics in terms of wages, cost of living, dealing with tiers and those kinds of things, which have immediate wage effect on workers. And the second major set of issues would be those involving matters of principle, And I would include in that the right to strike over plant closures and also the path to covering the electrical vehicle battery producing facilities under the National Master Agreement. Those things are clearly things that move the needle in the right direction. I think when you look at the overall demands, that the initial demands that the union had, and it's very important to read those very carefully, in those initial demands, they did not mention anything about the joint ventures, battery plants, and they did not mention anything about a 32-hour work week. They just talked about paid time leave. Perhaps the most controversial items they had were those dealing with the restoration of retiree health care and the restoration of the defined benefit plan. Mm-hmm. They weren't able to get that, but they got significant improvements in defined contribution allocations. They got annual payments to those um, retirees and other improvements in their defined benefit plans for those that are under them. And uh, they also got significant commitments in terms of future investments in their plants. So I think when you look at all of it, over all the whole package, this really is a record historic agreement. So the, the, 
money is one thing, of course, and there is a lot of money in these in these new contracts, and that was what the UAW was seeking, or at least part of what they were seeking. But it, it seems to me that the bigger victory, perhaps, is the change to the structure of employment in these companies, this idea of at least compressing the tiered work system so that people don't spend as much time earning low wages, waiting to, to, to earn the full wage at the, at the auto company. So I want to have you talk specifically about, uh, about that. Well, one of the big concerns that the union had was about pay equity. And that involved the two-tier issue when they created in the uh, earlier part of um, this century, about 15 years ago, when they created the two tiers to deal with the cost, labor cost issues of the company. And one was a lower paid tiered. And they also increased the number of temporary workers that they were using, which were paid less. And they had over time ratcheted up the number of years that it took to get from um, the lowest rate to the highest rate. And they dealt with all those things in this contract, which is a way of automatically raising people's pay. So temporary workers will get a pay raise of about 150% over the life of this contract. People that are starting will go, have, their entry level pay will go from $18 to $30. And those at the highest rate will go from $30 to over $40. And for skilled trades, it'll be over $50. So all those things, I think, contribute to leveling the playing field across workers, reducing the discrimination between them in terms of their employment status. And so you're right, this is a major structural reconfiguration. And employers for a long time have relied upon various devices to reduce their labor costs. And one of these is the use of what we call contingent workers or temporary workers. And they had a category which they actually called permanent temporary employees. It kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but um, <laughs> it is um, you know, something that they um, have been struggling to eliminate. And it, what remains to be seen is whether they're going to be able to keep it. Um, and in light of the competition that is unrelenting, um, and will obviously the transition to EVs, uh, unless something changes radically in the near future, is going to eat into their profitability. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder also about the damage that the strike might have done to these businesses and to their prospects. This, as we've said before, this is a tricky time for the automakers. The, the, the challenge of this massive shift to electric vehicles, uh, the changing nature of people's driving habits and their expectations of automakers, the, the, the shift that Ford has kind of foisted upon itself saying that it needs to be a transit company, a, a transportation company, as opposed to just a, a car company. All of these things make it less certain, I suppose, that, that uh, the companies can, can survive and be profitable. Um, I wonder what you, you make of the prospects uh, for all of that, given, given the strike and the new contracts. Well, the, the strike has um, 
direct and indirect economic consequences, which are felt by many people, primarily the strikers and those that are laid off as a result of the strike, and those whose businesses are immediately affected and suffer a loss in revenue. Those things are, are serious, and you've seen the estimates of over $9 billion by the Anderson Economic Group, uh, a little over $4 billion of which was to the big three themselves. Um, to put that number into a little bit of perspective, not to minimize the hardship, but in the first nine months of this year, GM and Ford generated over $130 billion in revenue. That's $260 billion between the two of them. So when that $4 billion can be adapted to or um, factored into their future operations, but what you're saying is fundamental in that the challenge facing the industry um, in these companies in particular is twofold. They, one, have to deal with the pressure to shift from internal combustion engine, which is their source of current profitability, to electrical vehicles, which the future profitability of with is, is uncertain, but probably can be dealt with over time. Uh, the second is they have to transform themselves uh, as companies. They can no longer just be car companies. They have to be technology companies, mobility companies, and they're not going to grow out of their problems by uh, expecting the North American market to increase significantly, and therefore their base of operations is going to climb. They're going to have to become more global companies because the growing markets, um, you know, in China and India and and other countries that have the opportunity to achieve more significant levels of growth than we do are where the future is going to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking with Merrick Masters. He's the Department of Finance Chair at Wayne State University, uh, somebody who is a real expert on organized labor, uh, especially its history in this country. We're talking about the two announced tentative agreements between the UAW and two of the automakers, Ford and Stellantis. Uh, Reuters reported uh, during our show, in fact, that uh, that uh, there is a agreement, a tentative agreement between UAW and GM. And now I'm hearing also that the Free Press is reporting that as well. And so by day's end, the strikes, the 44 days of strikes, may indeed be over. We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know what you make of the strikes, the motivation behind the strikes, the things that the UAW was asking for. Uh, also, what do you think of these agreements? What do you think of the idea that these strikes may be over and that the UAW, I think, in all fairness, uh, has to be characterized as a big winner uh, in all of this? Uh, the, the, the deals that have been announced so far include many of the things that the UAW was asking for. They include some things that the automakers said at different points they just could not really do, could not afford. Uh, this is uh, this was an unusual strike from the beginning in that it was launched against all three automakers, something that hasn't happened in recent memory, if ever before. Was that the right strategy? Was uh, UAW President Sean Fain, who is pretty new in the job, uh, clever about 
the strategy here and really smart to to do it the way he did so that uh, he could deliver for his members. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. Uh, a comment that we got on Twitter says, in a year of pretty awful news, the UAW strike has been a shining light of possibility. It has been militant, creative, joyful, and spot-on in its analysis of class and power. I hope we see much more of this form from unions and working people. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Ronald in Auburn Hills. Ronald, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. How are you today? Well, we're good. Uh, it's great to hear from you. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, I'd like for you to ask your expert uh, what's the sustainability uh, of the companies from the standpoint of the products that they're producing. And this is what I mean by that. If you take a look at the average cost of an SUV, you can buy a home in Detroit for the <laughs> price of these things. You're not the, kidding, Ron. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous, and the it it the cost it just keeps going up, up and up. The CEOs are making tremendous or taking home tremendous amounts of money, and the persons or people that are losing it's just us as consumers because whatever these contracts end up being, those costs are just going to be passed on. To the consumers. Yeah. Ronald. Exactly. Ronald, it's a great point. And listen, you will not find a more sympathetic ear to uh, the complaints about the rising cost of cars than than mine. I'm I'm blown away when I see what a new car uh, cost, not just from, of course, the Detroit three automakers, but from all of them. I mean, there has been this incredible increase, especially in the last uh, decade. Merrick Masters, what is the effect of these kinds of negotiations, the strike itself, and these new contracts on what we as consumers face when we walk into a dealership? Well, we face a situation in which it's been estimated that the increased labor costs could essentially add anywhere from $800 to $1,000 to the price of each vehicle. And that has to also be considered in light of rising interest rates. And so this the climb in interest rates will have a really significant impact on monthly payments and make it much more difficult for the typical person to afford. It's been the case so far that the electrical vehicles have really been in the realm of the higher echelon in the economic strata who can afford to buy these cars, which, you know, have been over $60,000 per vehicle, you know, in average in terms of their prices, although prices have come down. Um, And the average vehicle in the U.S. is close to $50,000. These are huge financial commitments that people make. And when you consider that the the highest paid auto workers were getting somewhere in the neighborhood of $67,000, 
um, the highest production workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, $50,000 you're looking at for your typical car, um, and most families need more than one car. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a huge expense. And when you add rising interest rates to that and inflation on top of that, and one of the major contributors over the past two years, I saw a chart the other day that's over the past two years and a little bit after that, the price of gasoline has gone up 53%. That's despite its decline. Yeah. Uh, and when the, you factor that in, that people are having to spend a lot more on gas. And um, uh, I would add another situation that contributes to that. Just now, if you want to buy a new home, it used to be that the typical American could buy, could buy a new home for over... Um, $500,000. That's a huge amount mm-hmm. uh, of money. Um, but this, the climate interest rate has raised their monthly payment to $1,400 a month. Mm-hmm. And people can't afford, it's pricing them out of the market. And that's what we're seeing now uh, with, you know, the Fed's taking action to curb inflation. And with geopolitical situation in the world, it's unclear what the world situation will be in terms of stability of supply chains and the price of energy. All those things make for a very rocky future for the companies. And I think that, you know, you, nothing is guaranteed. And they're going to have to struggle tooth and nail to survive this challenge domestically and internationally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. back to the phones and talk with Glenn in Detroit. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for taking my call. I first want to remind everybody that it was the unions that gave us the eight-hour workday, the five-day work week, uh, and uh, that was in the 1930s. But my question is about the new contract and the financial gains in the contract. How does this, how does this relate to uh, what the uh, workers took around 2007 and 2008 to keep the uh, uh, the car companies uh, uh, alive. Yeah. Uh, I'll great, take my call off the air. Glenn, great question. Uh, Merrick, go ahead. Well, I think a big issue in this negotiation was how to restore the workers to some sort of position better than they were in 2007, 2008. In 2007, the typical auto worker made about $28 an hour. With inflation, that translates into over $40 an hour now. Mm-hmm. So you might say in some respects that workers are just catching up to inflation. They went years without having um, wage increases. And also many of them were put in different employment classifications, the lower tier and the two tier system and in temporary work status. And as a result of that started at much lower wage scales to begin with. So they also sacrificed the um, retiree health care and the um, uh, defined benefit plan. So that put them more at risk in the sense that you have to rely on your defined contribution plan going forward. And there also haven't been embellishments into the pension pension system for time because of the company's financial hardship. 
all of those things make it very likely that workers are just now beginning to catch up. Um, and they're not getting far ahead of where they would have been if there had been a straight path of increasing wages like there had been historically. Uh, what we're seeing for most workers now is that they suffered stagnating or declining wages over about a 40, 50 year period. And it takes a long time to catch up from that. Mm -hmm. And this is a contract that is intended to be a step in that direction. But they didn't get everything that they wanted. They didn't get the restoration of retiree health care and they didn't get restoration of the defined benefit uh, plans. I think those things are unfortunately things that are unlikely to be seen for most workers going forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Glenn, really appreciate the call. Uh, and the really great question. Let's go next to Kyle in Ypsilanti. Kyle, what's on your mind? Hi, how you doing? Um, you know, the last caller brought this up, actually, about the work week mm-hmm. and setting the standard for the work week. And I know on this one, the 32-hour work week was a big part of um, the negotiations. And I'm wondering... It, you know, what happened with that? Was there, did we get it? <laughs> and um, can we expect the, the same sort of uh, fan out uh, into other industries and standard setting that we, we've seen in the US past? Yeah, Kyle, looking for that eight extra hours in the week uh, that the UAW was trying to, to get for us. Uh, Merrick, talk about that proposal, how it was received by the automakers and where it ended up uh, in the in the agreements. Oh, I, I, I think that what the union wanted in its demands, in its official demands, it was phrased more as more paid time off. And they got Juneteenth as a day off, and they also got um, parental paid time leave. And I, I, they floated the idea, I think, of having a 32-hour week or some sort of reduction in the work week. And I think most people realize that that was a non-starter. It was sort of like in the same category that you had with retiree health and with um, the situation at um, defined benefit plans. But it's something that this country is going to have to probably consider going forward. Mm. And I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if we begin to see adaptations in that in the sense that I think people having worked remotely and enjoyed that a large number of workers during the pandemic, uh, they like the flexibility over their time and to manage their schedules better. And perhaps moving to a four day work week, something like that um, in the not too distant future is in the realm of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also wonder if that was part of the strategy, I guess, here. In other words, uh, did Sean Fain and the other leadership at UAW put that out there as a, a hope for or a maybe, but but also to just kind of uh, set the boundaries of the discussion wider to say, we're going to talk about all kinds of different things, which may have put more pressure on 
the companies to deliver on other things that were that were more possible is that is that what they were yeah i think i i think i think that's absolutely right it's part of a negotiating strategy that they use uh but there are certain must-haves things that they absolutely have to have and i think a good substantial wage increase was one of those things i think another was elimination of the tiers uh how you treat temporary workers and their conversion to full-time status those things were fundamental to getting any sort of an agreement. And the others were, were out there for the point of view of discussing how things move forward. And I, that was, uh, I think, why they raised those issues, uh, to put them on the table and to say, this is really a struggle for the working class, the survival, the, the betterment of workers and their economic position in society. And therefore, we're gonna, we're gonna change the narrative. We're gonna change the dialogue. And it's not gonna be one in which workers have to be defensive, in which they're making concessions. It's which they go on the offense and try and do as they did in the 40s and 50s and, and, and get a better life through their contracts. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Sean in River Rouge. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey. Uh, I am a casino worker who is currently striking right now. Oh. So I just wanted to say that I am very happy that UAW got what they needed mm -hmm. um, and that the companies realized it was within their best interest to give them what they wanted. Um, this is not easy. It has not been easy. The city's economy has suffered from it. And... It's really hard because I'm a small business owner as well, and a lot of my clientele are UAW members, so wow. that different income has affected the whole community. Sure. Uh, Sean, I, I wonder if you can give us a sense of whether you feel like the new agreements with the UAW will will put pressure, I guess, on your employers to to deliver on some of the things that, that you're asking for. This has got to be at least a little bit hopeful, right? <laughs> Yes, I believe so. I think it sits us in a good position to say, okay, everyone's making concessions and we're standing firm on what we want and we're asking that you meet us halfway. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah because they did the same thing in Florida and the rest of them did. They didn't have it. It wasn't feasible financially. So hopefully they're singing a new tune now that the oh, other people have gave in. Yeah. Uh, Sean, really appreciate the call and the comments and hope that uh, you're doing okay. While while the strikes go on, I know it, it's hard on the folks who are striking. And as you point out, you know, there are all kinds of related industries and businesses that, that get hit as well. Uh, Merrick, I, I wonder if you can talk just a little about the influence, I guess, that these victories of the UAW will have or could have uh, in other parts of the labor market. This is, uh, to my memory... Um, this is one of the biggest victories I've seen the unions get, but but certainly the UAW. It's been a very long time since they could claim this kind of victory. What what will that mean in in other labor negotiations? Well, I think it emboldens labor unions to negotiate similar kinds of agreements to be bold in their demands and insistent in getting them across to employers, particularly if they're in a position like these auto companies were of relative profitability. And you look at the agreements with UPS and you look at the strikes that have occurred in other industries 
and also the agreements that have occurred in the airline industry, you see a pattern emerging in which workers are getting more. They're finally trying to get a little bit ahead of the game, so to speak, so that they're not just catching up with inflation. They're raising their standard of living. And I think that's what people are looking at. They see themselves as suffering a declining standard of living, and they wonder whether or not they'll be their children will be the first generation to have been handed essentially a lower standard of living than what they had. Uh, and I don't think anybody wants to see that. I think that people want to see a progression upward and realize that you have to make sacrifices. You have to sometimes be insistent and demanding. And I also think that will encourage non-union people to give a second look at unions and see whether or not they're appropriate for them and maybe a more sympathetic ear to um, realizing that if they really want to get substantial wage increases, um, they ought to consider organizing collectively and approaching their employer in that fashion. Okay, Merrick Masters, always great to have your expertise with us here on Detroit Today when we're talking about labor. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Take care. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. And you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.